Good evening from Flagstaff, Arizona. We are broadcasting in the 3731 kilohertz 80 meter band. And if you're getting us there, um, we wish you a good day or a good night, depending on which side of the world you're on, and hoping you can receive our transmission in a way that you can understand what we're saying. And I realize that English is one of hundreds of different languages, so... <laughs> anyway, it's been hot here. Um, we've had a really good monsoon that started early, uh, the rainy season, but unfortunately it's kind of petered out here at the beginning of July, where, which typically is when the rainy season starts here. But it was pretty, it's pretty, been pretty powerful to put out two major fires that we had here burning that were just awful. Destroyed some very beautiful places, but we still have, fortunately, a lot left. Um, one of the things when you're on shortwave radio, whether you're listening, uh, you know, receiving a broadcast or actually transmitting a broadcast, which we're doing tonight, you have to be aware of the propagation factor. You know, how, what will your signal have to pass through at point A when it gets to point B or C? And that's, you know, that's the, uh, that's the ionosphere. And in the ionosphere are all these things going on. We have weather and we have, disturbances and we have uh, purposely b blocked transmissions you know like right now Russia's blocking our signals and we're blocking theirs and you know it's between Ukraine and Russia and that's going on like it did in the Cold War but you have to kind of know what's going on with space weather which I, I check periodically you know uh, we have we have a very the sun's in a very active period right now and uh, solar wind does drastically affect our planet sometimes and um, you have to be aware of that especially if you have satellites and you have radio transmissions it even affects microwave transmissions um, depending on how powerful the the geomagnetic storm will be and I think and uh, this is when the solar wind interacts with our magnetic sphere that surrounds the earth and can cause all kinds of crazy things to happen and um, so it's good to know what's going on when you're when you're out there in the shortwave frequencies and uh, what you know what may help your signal you know cause generally it uh, or, or not help it because generally at night is when we broadcast out from this side of the planet where it's daytime on the other side and uh, you get a higher propagation factor with your shortwave broadcast signal uh, in, in the evening times and, and the, the time of year because you know the seasons really affect the propagation of a signal and uh, anybody knows that listens to just common AM radio, if anybody even listens to that anymore, <laughs> um, that uh, you get this thing called skips. And skips happen when you have these big storms, and the clouds, and, and the weather carrier transmission that sometimes, you know, sometimes you can pick up a little community radio station clear across uh, the coast, you know, on, on the other side of, of the United States, simply because the skip, you know, the... The propagation effect uh, is, is pretty powerful and the signal can skip from cloud to cloud and go clear across this distance that wouldn't normally be covered. And so AM radio, um, you can pick up some, I remember one time, I was way in the middle of the Escalante Canyons, uh, it's in s southeastern Utah, uh, these beautiful deep red rock canyons, I said way, way out there. Uh, yeah, and there's no cities or towns. It's it's kind of a real vast wilderness even today. Um, and I picked up a, a radio signal in this little radio station. I think it was a private station in somebody's house. 
like, like, like ours here. Uh, and it was on uh, Washington Boulevard in Ogden, Utah. <laughs> and I listened to this guy talking, you know, for a while about um, what was going on. And I was just, it was amazing because I think he had, I don't know, a thousand watts, maybe. I think it was less than that, but somehow I picked him up because, you know, there were clouds and there was a storm system, and I was able to pick up his signal. Um, and then you have these little things called QSL cards that you send to somebody when you pick up their signal. So you can let them know, hey, we heard your broadcast. Um, space weather. You know, um, I, I sort of have a problem with the Ukrainian-Russian thing, and I, I think, and this is why, not that I'm on Russia's side or Ukraine's side, I'm, I'm not going to choose any sides, um, simply because what we have going on here is, is we have a Cold War starting all over again. What that means is either side, NATO or the United States or Russia, and it always seems like it boils down to those two things, doesn't it? Could push the button and uh, launch a, a nuclear, a thermonuclear device that could cause massive destruction, especially in a great densely packed urban city. And we have limited capabilities of striking these down when they're launched, especially with the power of our missiles nowadays hypersonic missiles that can travel five miles a second. I don't know if they put therm thermonuclear heads on those. I think the Minuteman 3 is our most advanced. Now here's the thing that's not really put out there in the public, is Russia and China probably make the best uh, rocket engines in the world. And for a while we did purchase from them. And they have, they have things that um, are really scary. And including Russia still has the most powerful nuclear device in the world. And they have something they're not talking about. I think back in the um, mid, late 1940s and 1960s, they did a, they got a, ba a bunch of mathematicians together and defense people and figured out what, you know, and, and nuclear weapons have come a long way since then. Um, what would it take to destroy humans on the planet, of the, on the face of the earth? How many nuclear warheads? So this is like a long time ago. This is 50 years ago or more. So nuclear warheads have, are much more advanced now and much more powerful, much more sophisticated. But back then they said 10 to 100. A minimum of 10, depending on how large the nuclear warhead was, could cause what's called a nuclear winter and, and lead to the destruction of, of our planet, at least in terms of the, you know, where humans could stay alive. Other life forms might not be as affected strongly as we would be. So, today marks, see, 1962, what is that, close to 59 years, that, there, actually, there's the Carrington event that happened in 1859 was the most intense geomagnetic storm recorded in history, and it did all kinds of crazy stuff, and, you know, we had really limited technology then, uh, telegraph wires, but there's all kinds of sensational events, the, the northern lights, the aurora, Wales. Did I say it right? <laughs> I don't have Mercury here to correct my pronunciation. Um, is a sort of a beautiful, spectacular effect that's, that's caused by uh, these these solar storms that take place, um, and they can and it can be tremendous sometimes if it's strong enough. During the Carrington event, they've done mathematics and they think that's the strongest. I think it was a, had it taken place in our modern times, it would have disrupted our entire communication system. I mean, this caught things on fire. 
Uh, this caused sensational, spectacular events in the atmosphere. It caused disturbances even in people's minds and thinking, they say, and in their body chemistry. So I, I, that might be going too far. Um, but... In 1962, Starfish Prime, I think we launched 31 nuclear devices in this time period, thermonuclear devices, in response to Russia saying that they're no longer going to have a moratorium on, on atomic and nuclear uh, warheads. They're going to start building them again. So in response to that, we wanted to show them, hey, we're more powerful than you. <laughs> this this finally led to the great czar bomb where Russia said no I don't think so we're pretty much at the top you know it's just this constant you know we're bigger we're bigger we're tougher we're tougher and you know with nuclear warfare nobody wins it's an unwinnable situation and that's kind of what we're dealing with right now it's something that you know in Ukraine it may go on for years and years I'm sad to say um, I, I don't like to talk about wars they've had a real dramatic effect in my life I was in one um, the sorrow is immense and deep for people that suffer on behalf of world leaders that seem to never get the clue that the rest of us have to go on with our life. And that stuff in Ukraine is going to be going on for years and years now. The repercussions are, are horrible. I feel like in some ways it's a battleground for, for NATO. It's a battleground between East and West again, as, as it has been since the end of World War II. It's like, do we ever learn anything? And it's always these innocent people and families that suffer, and it's really, really sad. And um, having been involved in such a situation, I back off, because I know it's so emotionally traumatic, and I know what it will do to me. And my question is to world leaders, are we ever going to learn anything? Are we going to continue with this? Are we back to where we... Where we thought this was over, back to another Cold War, where just one person has to push the button and the nuclear warhead's launched. And that's, you know, that you know what happens after that. I mean, can we really blame that on one person? On one country? Um, do we really think it's one person or a group of people? And, do, and then we push them and push them into a corner that leaves them no options. Is it worth killing thousands, possibly millions of people over that? Can we honestly bl blame that on one person, or are we partially to blame with all our restrictions, with stopping an oil pipeline, with various other things? You know, I'm not a politician, but is it worth it? You know, and there's been these wars, and I was in one, thousands of people die, innocent people, in the name of all these ridiculous things that these powerful people do. Anyway, moving on here, <laughs> if you can move on. Almost 60 years ago today, today is July 9th, um, a, a not-so-grand event happened, uh, uh, a spectacular event uh, and a rather horrifying one. Somewhere in August of 1961, I think, the Soviets announced that it was the end of their moratorium on developing atomic and nuclear devices. In response, we came up with what's called... Uh, overall Dominican uh, project and in that were five thermonuclear devices that would be launched into, into the upper atmosphere of the earth uh, and these were called Operation Fishbowl <laughs> thing. and uh, the Starfish uh, launch um, was the one that was launched up into the atmosphere and exploded 250 miles up there and and detonate this this huge thermonuclear device 
that was a lot it, it, that caused this magnetic pulse, the super surge of man-made electricity in the atmosphere on both an atomic and subatomic level. And the results were so powerful that the instruments couldn't register it. And a thousand miles away was this huge electrical storm that hit uh, Hawaii and blew out lights and uh, radio stations and just caused this wreck havoc. It became something that we weren't expecting. And so it created this man-made magnetic electrical storm that was unprecedented. And um, it was this severe um, result that we weren't expecting. So we're launching <laughs> thermonuclear devices in the atmosphere. From Johnson Atoll, is that what it is? Some 1,500 miles southwest of Hawaii, I think. Um, um, yeah. It's interesting, when my mother was still alive, she was an interesting person. She, she was a playwright. Uh, she wrote a number of books, uh, most unpublished. She was a well-known poet. She was a straight-A student, won honors at university, two or three different universities. But she was not very egotistical-minded, so you wouldn't even know a lot of times that she did those things. She was extremely talented and, not, and didn't have much of an ego. And... Uh, constantly getting awards in school for her writing she felt that electric electric magnetic pulse bomb would end had the possibilities of ending human life and she wrote a whole novel on it it's unpublished uh, it's, it's fantastic that a new uh, electric magnetic pulse bomb bombs would be used that would and these are really powerful electric magnetic bursts of radi uh, radiation caused by a nuclear explosion. And so she felt that, and this is what happened with this, uh, um, with this starfish prime, is you had this, uh, you had this nuclear electromagnetic pulse that took place. This is extreme explosion of electrical voltage that causes all kinds of horrible repercussions on the planet. She felt this would be uh, a huge problem in the future of the planet. She wrote this fascinating book. Uh, I don't even know. <laughs> I believe my oldest son has the text still. So um, be interesting to, to read through that book again. Um, this is a whole novel about a conspiracy involved with world leaders that unintentionally caused this horrible thermonuclear event to uh, take place. So anyway, yeah, close to 60 years ago was the, the most tremendous uh, magnetic human-made storm ever recorded, and frightfully so. I mean, the explosion caused from this artificial uh, stimulation of, of the Aurora Boyalis. It had its own northern lights, although more southern. The electrical magnetic storm is so intense that it, it's glowing red. You can see it 2,000 miles away. Uh, and, and the repercussions, uh, we don't even know to this day what they were um, and what was going on when we detonated this thermonuclear device 250 miles up in the atmosphere. It caused the, the most tremendous man-made electrical storm ever. So, points of interest, um, uh, getting back to shortwave radio, uh, we have a little show set up here, uh, and we're going to go to that, uh, um, and um, move into that, uh, and of course, we're only on the air for so long, so we <laughs> like squeeze all these things in, and of course, when you're, when you're broadcasting live, that doesn't give you the opportunity, I think we have a 
a 10 second delay in case we have something major we can cut it out um, but when it's live you can't really go back and edit it and as you and as I've said many times I like my my conversations my broadcast to be like we're having a conversation at night and we're just talking and it's, it's sort of unedited and so there's mistakes and you know um, it's not uh, a perfected narrative where you can go back and edit it so everything all your facts are checked out I just kind of throw these things out off the top of my head often I don't even have the internet on so I can check that out and uh, so um, things are not quite as as difficult as they were when I was a kid when you had two you know still had some shortwave radios with tubes in them and, and you had your own little radio station you can do a lot of things through the uh, through the internet now, through through uh, the web, if you set up things right. Uh, so um, yeah, so my th- my stuff floats out there. Uh, I do put up edited pieces sometimes, little fun stories. But um, so it is what it is, and so um, and I, I try to keep it um, loose, and I try to keep it uh, not too uh, edited and too glossy. Um, so. Um, Let's go ahead and let's go into our next, the next part of our show, which deals with interdimensional monsters. <laughs> so fire up a pizza, get some beer, and let's, uh, let's see where that topic goes on this shortwave airwaves floating up in there in the ionosphere. Ba-doom, 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 interdimensional monsters. Let's see. <laughs> you know how we are in between stations. Here we go. You know, it's uh, interesting concerning solar flares. Apparently, about, let's see, 11.30 p.m., so just before we um, came on the air, actually, because uh, at midnight and uh, on the air here early in the early morning hours, the 9th, which is uh, late at night here Phoenix time, so it was 20, I, I'm trying to, uh, 2049 UTC, which is roughly 11.30 p.m. Phoenix time, there was a long duration solar flare 2.5 so pretty strong now that'll take tomorrow is when that the repercussions of that solar wind will hit the earth and i think they're saying it's they're hoping it's going to miss the earth because it's going to cause some big big disruptions especially on the shortwave frequencies and other radio frequencies and with electronics so it's not clear what will happen yet but I think we might miss the the, uh, the brunt of that. But pretty interesting. I wasn't aware of that. So <laughs> I guess the the solar weather I had checked was uh, off a little bit. So um, after the uh, uh, broadcast, I did I did check it out, and I was surprised. Wow, we we just had a we had a huge uh, solar flare up there. I had pictures of it, and uh, uh, how big was it? Hmm. I don't know, the size of the earth are bigger? <laughs> Something like that. So we're going to get the repercussions of that. And of course the, uh, the magnosphere, you know, our earth is protected. We have things that will protect us. That from we have, there'll be, you know, a shock wave that will come, but we, we have this natural protection, this barrier around our earth. That, but there will be friction. There will be contrast when that solar wind comes and should be spectacular in terms of the northern lights and other things that will happen. Hopefully nothing gets damaged. Anyway, there you go. Um, yeah, and pretty amazing. Okay, on, on to, <laughs> on to uh, the next part of our show. Are there interdimensional monsters? Or rather, life forms that we can't detect? 
Several scientists, um, some physicists have entertained the idea, and you can look this up on the internet if you want, that there are all kinds of life forms on this planet that we have not detected. And, uh, you know, we have these these baseline definitions that tell us it's alive, it's, it's, it's conscious. You know, it has to, these are the things that life has to have. You know, and there's all kinds of criteria that are set for, hey, it's alive, and we know it's there. <laughs> but we also understand there's that gray area out there, even in science, where we just don't, we don't see a lot of things. I mean, we know in the light spectrum that we only see so much of that. And uh, even when I'm out in the wilderness, which I am a lot with my, with my two dogs, especially my healer, uh, my white spotted healer gunner, highly intelligent creature, um, he is an extension of my senses. He knows and can smell things and sense weather and animals long before I can. And he's been right so many times about that, that he knows there's a herd of deer sometimes 30 minutes before we run into him. Because we used to do these long, these altar runs, you know, 15, 20 miles together. And he would pick up on amazing things I wouldn't. And, you know, and those, those are senses that we just don't have normally. And especially the longer we live in cities and the longer we rely on digital devices and cell phones where we don't have to think about things or remember things, they, it does it for us. We start to lose these senses. Like we know some of these tribes in the Amazon basin have still have amazing amounts, you know, have amazing abilities to smell things and sense things when they hunt and when there's weather and they still have to rely on these because they're not connected so far to uh, the digital world to computers and so their senses are extremely important they hunt with dogs uh, and um, they rely on dogs some of these tribes so even if we once had really in tune senses with things we we may have lost those and even if we had super senses you know, with all these listening devices we have and all these computers and all these mathematical, you know, theorems. Uh, we know the possibility is there that there's a lot of things we can't see or we don't know. And uh, so if we can shift from it's alive to it's a monster, meaning that it means to do us harm, that it preys on us. And, you know, it's interesting... Um, Spiders are incredible, are incredible creatures, incredibly frightening, incredibly fascinating, incredibly beautiful, very primitive. They're one of the life forms on this planet that's been around a long, long time. Long before we were. Long before, I think, even mammals. Have to look that up. But there, in the fossil record, we find spiders have been around a really long time. So they have unique, uh, unique abilities to survive in extreme environments that we don't. And they've evolved and been able to do that. And they're highly complex. But it's interesting, I, I, and I've entertained this idea, even when I was a younger boy, you know, with a pencil probing the web of a spider, how much can that spider actually know about me and my world? About the cars that I, you know, that are driven, about the corporations and businesses and about airplanes and um, you know there's just a lot of things and maybe the spider doesn't need to know all those things 
<clears throat> maybe the spider doesn't need to know those things to survive. And there's things that spiders sense that we don't, you know, the, the changes in the atmosphere and humidity and, and weather. I mean, I've been around spiders a lot, especially in the wild, and when it's going to rain or you're going to have really violent weather, a spider usually leaves its web. Not all of them, you know, depending if it's a web dweller, because you have around spiders. Yes, spiders have different strategies of survival. But they have a high sense of things when they're out there in the wild. They have to perform in order to survive. And they've been around for, you know, millions of years. So they, they're, they're pretty good at it. So they have senses we don't have because they survive in a way we don't. And yet we're all interdependent on each other. But it goes back to... In, oh, and so the thing here is, you know, as I'm, as I'm pricking this big web of this uh, golden orb spider, you know, they get quite huge. They're fascinating and frightening. Uh, you know, it tries to attack my pencil. It tries to, you know, it tries to... It may even look at me and sense movement there, but how much uh, does it know of me and how much do I know of it? And that's the question. And, and then in terms of the spider and its web, you wonder what's pricking on our web that we don't really understand or have the senses to understand or realize what's up there. Is a death and a tragedy part of something that we don't quite understand? We just kind of see the shadow move and we kind of shy back or we come out fighting, but we don't understand what it is. So we only have so much, so many senses and there may be so much that we don't see. And yeah, what's out there that we don't sense, that we don't, we think we're so high and mighty here, but really we may be one of the lower life forms and not just realize it. Because uh, there's just so much we don't know. And you know, our science at least tells us that. That there's so much out there that we, and in here, that we don't know, we don't understand. One of the things that, that, that comes up when you use these hallucinogenic plant medicines that have been used for thousands of years in the Amazon and outside of the Amazon, like peyote and doctora and... Uh, other plants that you know are beyond the, the spectrum I don't know if beyond's the right word that are outside of the spectrum of these powerful hallucinogenics like ayahuasca and uh, yahe yahe is prepared in a different way than ayahuasca they're the, they're the same but they're they're prepared in different ways yopo uh, virola these are really really powerful hallucinogenic uh, and, and they're and they've been used for thousands of years and what what people know, what natives know in these ceremonies they're in, is in they interdimensionally travel with these plants. And having used them extensively myself, oh yeah, you leave what you think is baseline reality and go into an interdimensional space. Often uh, with ayahuasca and yopo, it's, it's plant-oriented, it's organic-oriented. Um, you're really in the microscopic too, I think. At least I, I go there. You get, you get, you go inside of this, this, this incredible world that we don't really think a lot about if we don't need to, and that the one that like is the baseline for the larger world that we see where we drive our cars and and where we um, go to work and you know all these things we do we don't have to think about it. But if you get really sick, like with something with COVID or in the past, the Black Death, we know these, these 
you know, the back cilia that's in the belly of the flea that's on the rat. Um, you know, it can kill a lot of people. I mean, what's the figure? Millions died in Europe during the Black Death when it was there. You know, and that was caused also, interesting enough, the Black Death wasn't just caused by the flea. But like COVID, when you, bre when you breathe, the water droplets carry the bacteria, carry the infection. And so it can spread that way. So it wasn't just a vector of fleas on rats that spread on the ships that went from coast to coast and country to country. I believe Asia, somewhere in Russia, may have been the orig origins of the Black Death. But these, you know, and that could be a monster. There's these things that we don't see, uh, biological and chemical warfare, which is something that I was educated as a medic in, in the military, in the army, because, uh, you know, I, I went into, I was going into a war zone, I had to, and where, where we used biological and chemical agents, and I had to be educated in, on how to react to those if a soldier, you know, encounters those and gets sick, something like VH, VH nerve agent. So these things that, um, on minute levels that we don't think about until we have to think about them. And, it, and, and we know the minute world of the quantum physics where you have neutrons, and protons, and photons, and all these little things that are just moving at tremendous amounts of speed and doing all kinds of crazy things that don't make sense. Being in two areas at once, being in one area and then not being in another one. And this area underlies our, our big, huge, everyday life. That we, and we just don't think about it. We don't think about germs. We don't think about until you get sick. And as, you know, as a medical person, when I was in the Army, I had to know those things. Why are the soldiers in my platoon sick? Why are, all of a sudden is 85% of my platoon sick? And, and, and what it boils down to is people weren't washing their hands when they would go to the bathroom. And they're spreading this, you know, they're spreading the the germs from their their feces and it's on their hands and it gets in the food and so you know there's simple things like that but that's a monster too and we don't think about that until we have to and we're you know we sit back and watch our tv shows and we go to our jobs and there's stuff we don't think about on the other hand when you're involved in situations where you encounter other life forms that you don't always see every day and you know indigenous people that's been involved in these in these very ancient ceremonies for for fertility and for blessing the earth and for hunting they go into these interdimensional spaces that we call them these other worlds where spirits and unseen things uh, are and they commune with them medicine people uh, traditional medicine people work on that level they're not a medical doctor to some degree, they are, uh, and they know lots of plants, especially Amazon Basin, and what to use to heal people, but they're not, they don't perform often like a medical doctor. They work on this unseen level, this, this quantum level, where things uh, are skewed in the unseen world, you know, negative and positive energies, and you go in there when you, so those are the causative forces of an illness. The way your, you know your mental situation, uh, there may be uh, what we, you know, there may be spirits in there that are, and these are named. You know, I think it was Richard Evan Schulte saying that these spirits, these intelligences that live in plants, you know, these life forces, because you know, to the indigenous person, a plant is a living, conscious being, 
And um, Richard Evan Schultes, the great ethnobotanist and scientist, said, you know, for all those life forms, I can give you a chemical composition. I can give you a number that will tell you of the unique signature that that living plant has. And so, as a scientist, I'm not going to, you know, I don't need to call it a, a spirit or life form, but it's alive. And here's the... Here's the chemical composition. Here's the mathematical theorem that that is that that plant's unique unique signature. So um, we have different names for these things. When you start using spirits and <laughs> and entities, people get a little nervous, you know. And religious people, you know, and different. Uh, you know, Hinduism, Islam, you know, and genies and Christianity and devils and evil spirits. You know, those are things that we've kind of knowing about for a long time but even science is saying there's a lot out there we don't see and don't know and I think one of the things I, I'd like to just you know I've discussed this in other episodes is let me get a drink here because my mouth's getting dry some coffee is when you get in these these heavy hallucinogenic states and you know that's a deceptive word because then it means oh it's you know it's a hallucination it's not really there just you're seeing it in your mind so I go you know having having been involved with these plants a lot and I'm still using them it's been over the last especially the last 10 years um, I, I've been involved in these situations a lot and I like to say this that that world you go into is more real than this one and the only way I can explain that is if you have that experience yourself and uh, when you're in these states and some last for hours and hours others like Yopo you know just an hour less than an hour you have this very very intense experience with the other world and what I like to think is it makes you more sensitive to the things you don't normally see. Uh, often to me it just almost like you're going into the microscopic world you know, where all this consciousness exists that you don't think about. All these colors, uh, all these sounds that you don't think about are there. And you know it's, it's like the dream state and if we have a good, you know I've talked about this, if you have an extensive memory of your dreams, especially the narrative ones, those places are so real, you can't tell the difference until you, you know, in parenthesis, wake up. And, you know, I've talked about this before. Maybe this, this 9 to 5 reality is a dream itself. And until you wake up or go back to sleep, you don't really recognize that. Because everything is so totally real, and especially in the really powerful narrative dreams. It's the same thing in these, in these you know, in parenthesis, hallucinogenic states. And one of the things that happens is you encounter, you know, lots of, you can look this up on YouTube. Everybody has different experiences. But, and, you know, beyond that, the indigenous people often don't share their experiences on YouTube because they're very private, they're very sacred. You encounter these beings. Uh, some of them are uh, simply amazing. They're way beyond human intelligence. In fact, as I've often said, my experience has been almost all of them are not human-like. They're, they're so far off the human spectrum that, you know, I don't, I don't even know how to define them. But one of the things, you, and I've talked to friends, and friends have talked to me, one of the things you do meet are you meet these predators. There's these predators that, that are in there interdimensionally, and they can hurt you. And so what the indigenous and native person knows through discipline and ceremonial use and for what they call as prayer and fasting, 
that there's certain things that you have to be disciplined with when you encounter these beings because they leave residuals on you and so the medicine person who often has 30 or 40 years of, of, of learning not only with with plants but with dealing in these alternate realities and some tribes have as many as 15 different levels worlds that go into in realities and they're very substantial and they're very very concrete and you have to know how to, and they're very different from this the one that we live in here and you have to know how to interact and so you you take plants with you you take protections with you you have prayers so when you meet these beings uh, you know what to do and I think a lot of times when you have the stoners and people that's just getting off to get high and skeptics that go into that world um, they don't often understand what they're dealing with and I think it's been nice for me when I spent a lot of my life with indigenous people that it is a discipline that it uh, requires a lot of years of knowledge to navigate through these realms you just don't sit there and go wow this is so amazing or I'm freaking out you know there's a discipline where you where you take yourself and you learn how to move through these corridors of of the unreal of the uh, of places that don't even make sense in this in this dynamic and um, when you get into the really heavy uh, places the places where you fasted and you prayed and you followed a, a very um, strict diet and and you've prepared yourself and then you take these these powerful uh, plant medicines then you go into these deeper realms and the elders the people that have been doing this for years and years they know how to go into these realms that are just too much to handle and they take huge doses of, of these plant medicines that most of us can't handle and, it's to, and, and so it isn't it doesn't just have I mean you can fast and you can pray and there's other ways to go into these realms and as I said before people make them make these experiences into religions they make them into uh, whole philosophies they write these books and and it's 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 pretty amazing in the ancient world it was pretty common you look at these cave walls as I talked about in, in South Africa that are tens of thousand years years old and, and in France um, and these and especially if you have been in these realms these hallucinogenic realms these realms of the otherworldly you recognize the signature on these cave walls you see things that you see in these other these other realms and so getting back to this whole concept of a monster of a vampire like figure that and it could it be you know like <laughs> like the spider's web that you spray or you kill the spider there's a lot of things that you don't understand that happen that you don't see that causes a death or a sickness that's beyond your knowledge there's some entity there that's disturbing the that's disturbing the the reality that's making wavelengths you know on a, on a so there's there's root causes that we don't always see and we know in the microscopic world in the quantum world that's exactly what's going on there's things and we don't know how the larger Newtonian world interacts sometimes with the quantum one that's just kind of crazy and insane and chaotic we don't know how these things work together to make this this life of balance but we do know these huge cataclysmic events happen these things like bluebonic plague uh, these uh, 
these diseases that become pandemic and, and kill lots of people, we know that it can things on a very on a very microscopic level can really affect us. And so, um, what what's wrong with saying there's very highly advanced beings that we simply can't see? You know, like the movie. <laughs> you know, you you and I, there's a story by the Civil War veteran and Ambru and. And Andrew Ambrose Bias. <laughs> if you want to read a really interesting story, uh, or, or I think I think CBS Mystery Theater actually does a, a drama of this, you know, in the audio, it's pretty fascinating. Read or listen to the story, the damn thing, because it's about this entity that that nobody can see that does all this destruction. And this this and is he a scientist? Uh, I'm not sure, but he can see the entity. He knows it's there. At least he knows it's there. You know, there's a lot of movies about this, and um, even when you get into something like The Exorcist, we, you know, there's unseen things that we don't we don't understand. And my experience has been in these realms, in, in my own dreams, and especially in the hallucinogenic realms of these powerful plant medicines. There are these fantastic beings, both really good that help you out and guide you and then there's the other kind that can actually kill you and do damage to you and they live off they live off your energy they follow you around that's one of my experiences is i actually seen these entities following people around <laughs> and they didn't look good especially street people like in the back alleys i used to run into a lot and do documentary work with that are sick and not doing well it, you know, these entities would follow them around and, and live off their their energy, and 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 this is what the 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 medicine man in these tribes knows about. You know, he's I like to say, indigenous people knew about what we call the quantum world long, long ago, and in their ceremonies and in their teachings, there's this there's there's these other worlds and there's these other realms that affect our larger and bigger life, and so things like TVs and radios that or there's transmissions from point A to point B and you have a receiver that picks a signal up that's a receiver and my experience especially in shortwave radio is you are picking up things that are really bizarre and if you listen in particular to shortwave radio and a bit to, to night AM radio I mean one of the things I, I, I know as a medic because you know I was, I was a medic in the, in the regular army for Ten, and in the reserves for 10 years where I worked full time so I worked and I worked in a medical clinic and I, I dealt with a lot of troop troops that got sick everywhere from a headache to ones actually dying and, and you know especially in, in, in war situations and and so one of the things that you know is the state of mind can make people sick depression uh, um, no sleep can bring down, you know, affects your immune system, and you can get, you can actually get sick from not having, if you're sleep deprived over days and days, it, it affects your immune system, or if you're in a really high pressured environment, especially a war zone, you get sick, and 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 your immune system is strongly affected, uh, and. You get these little things that can turn into big things, and you know, as a medic, you're responsible for a platoon and sometimes an entire company. 
And for a time, I was in a large, huge hospital unit where there was over 500 people. So you could see these cycles of illness that would run through the, you know, run through the unit, and and it would start out in little groups. And often it's these little unseen things that happen, or you go out and, you know, and, and there's and there's uh, the laboratory, and you can do chemical analysis, and you can look at a person's blood, and you can see these little minute things that most of us don't pay attention to that affect a person. But there's also these states of mind, psychological states of mind, uh, stuff like post-traumatic stress disorder from a war or from, from being raped or being in a horrible car accident or losing someone that can affect your, your physical being, your well-being. And so the mind and the body are connected to each other strongly. And uh, we don't pay attention to these things until, until we get sick or someone we know gets sick or someone dies, you know has a sudden horrible heart attack or something and you're like well and after they go in and, and do analysis of the body and look at the chemical you know the chemical and blood analysis of that person when they're dead they can see well these are the things that affected that person but the thing the, the traditional medicine person does is they go into this realm of the unseen and they realize and you know like Richard Evans Schultes we you know as a as a as an ethnobotanist, as a plant specialist, the, you know, he said the native calls the, you know, calls this, you know, this plant such and such being. You know, like ayahuasca is a, is a consciousness; it's a being. And 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 what he said is, well, science chooses to use numbers and chemical compositions, and and you write it up on a board, and that's the plant, and it's a unique signature only that plant has. And you know that plant reaches to the sun and it grows and it, and, it, and it produces little plants and something like ayahuasca that has this tremendous effect on a, on an individual when they take it, um, a profound one, and it's one of the most powerful hallucinogenic plants in the world. Um, why does it do that? And of course, when you talk, and, and, and there's two plants used that I've talked about, and they need each other to perform this miraculous these visions that you have, the, the, these realms that you go into, there's a special way to prepare these plants. And part of that is preparing the, your body and preparing yourself mentally for this, this journey you'll take. And, you know, people do this half-assed. And, uh, and you can get on YouTube and see that most of the people that are involved in these experiences is just a half-assed experience. Nothing profound happens. Or if it does, it's just like, oh, wow, dude, there was colors and it was, you know, it was just this amazing high that I had. You know, and on the other hand, there's people that were this stuff profoundly, it, it, you know, changes their lives. So back to the original thing, are there monsters? Are there things that can hurt us that we can't see? And, you know, obviously, you know, bacteria, <laughs> germs, um, cancer, there's things we can't see that we could call monsters that can hurt us. And if we change the names of those things, they themselves are conscious entities. And you know that word consciousness I've talked about before too, is it really throws off the materialist, the hardcore person that looks just for physical evidence to explain everything else, you know, in a very rational sense, in a Newtonian sense. The materialist has a really tough time with the concept of why are humans conscious? Why do we have this ability to look in the mirror and recognize that that's us. Why do we have this ability to, to think like we do? My thing is, is it's not that big of a deal. You know, every, all the life forms have their, their 
fantastic abilities that we don't often look at. We just try to define everything by the human experience, which we're finding out is less and less a good baseline for the rest of the universe out there that is not human. So we can get very biased. But um, consciousness throws the, the materialist off. You can go and look on this on the Internet. Um, there's a lot of debate on why we're conscious, why we think why we're able to do all these incredible things and and you know homo sapien why is he different from the rest of the animals and which i don't believe is true i believe we're very self-centered and very biased and, and science is often directed by that bias and, and that's you know we talked about that in the mary shelley episodes the the ego and uh, uh the will to have power and money often dominates the, you know, the use of science. Science itself is not good or bad, but it depends on who's using it, and that's the problem, isn't it? Oppenheimer made the atomic bomb, but now, you know, when you get the wrong person that uses, that has nuclear devices, that has chemical and biological uh, agents that they can put in these missile heads and launch into a place, what, what can that do? And, you know, so those things can be monsters if we, you know, whatever we choose to name them. It's just that I, you know, when you get with the indigenous people, when you, my experience is these are conscious entities. My experience has been there are, con there are entities way beyond human beings that don't even look human. And I've had, in this world you go into, and especially in the ayahuasca experience, it's so real. You know, I'm sorry. I, my thing is it's more real than this one. But until you've had that experience, we can't really talk about that, can we? You can just sit on the outside and judge, oh, dreams, oh, ayahuasca. You know, it's just the stuff you take and it affects your mind. And my thing is, what doesn't affect your mind? And when it does affect your mind, it causes all kinds of things to happen in your physical body. And obviously, we're raised a certain way in our culture to see things a certain way. When you go to another culture, they might not see it that way. They might think you're completely crazy you know that you you're full of crap because you know you're raised a certain way with a certain view and then you think that you're so reassured that's how it is and I think sometimes we use science and rationality to to hard to hard line things to use this thing called determination de determinism where everything is hardcore worked out everything is goes a certain way because there's you know all these effects and and there's not much you can do about it uh, you know I, I've sat with these people before but you can be too rational you can be too fixing it and my thing is is okay well let's let's sit here and you take ayahuasca and I'll take ayahuasca we'll drink this stuff and let's see what how you feel about that in fact let's do it about ten times before we start to talk about this rationalism and this hardcore determinism all these mathematical theorems that you can work out on paper the emotional state alone is so hard for the scientists especially if it's very personal um, emotional states something like love and sex you can explain that on paper but but to be in that experience is so absolutely amazing or, or maybe not amazing but it, it's something you have to experience directly and we put these names on it and that doesn't necessarily mean that's what it is but it's the personal and it's the experience with the world that's not Newtonian that's not clockwork 
that I think we're moving as towards in, in the modern world. I think even science itself is moving towards, you know, we're talking about quantum computers, and we're talking about things that um, are going to change our world. Uh, Multidimensional universes, you know, uh, multidimensional effects on um, the outcome of one event can change the outcome of everything else. Just one small thing can, based on chance, or not chance, it can it can bring a life into being or take it away. Um, very interesting. So those are some ways to look at monsters. Are there predators? Are there beings of higher intelligence? Yeah. I mean, I'm going to have to tell you that that's my experience. <laughs> and uh, whatever way you arrive at that, whether it's through religious means, or fasting or praying, or like I've said, a serious accident that that causes a shift in your consciousness or hallucinogenic plant medicines and ceremonies whatever way you arrive at that uh, you there's just this largely unexplored world out there that we don't know anything about and the more we learn the less we know so this reassurance that we know everything everything is deterministic uh, I don't I have a hard time with that uh, and like I said Let's sit down and let's, if nothing else, you're going to take the ayahuasca, I'm going to take it, and let's see how you feel after we're done with this experience. In fact, when you get done with that, let's do 10 more. I'd love all the world leaders to do that. Maybe we'd have more world peace if we could get out of this where we think this is reality. This is hardcore 9 to 5 reality. But that's being controlled by people that are in power, that are editing and and making this reality that benefits them but not us. And I think it's important to see that, that the reality you live in is largely manipulated and doctored by people in power. Even the science is, is moved and around and changed according to people that have power and the ability to, to mess around with statistics and make you do things that you think you're supposed to do. Just because it's science doesn't mean it's correct. Not, no, just because it, they're using the science doesn't mean that person can't be perverse or that person has a, wants to make a lot of money or wants to control your life so they can benefit from you, from you being addicted to a substance or from you, you know, needing something you, that you really don't need that benefits them. The science is not bad. The science is correct, but the statistics can, you know, don't lie, but the people do. And, and you learn how to use those things. So your reality, the more you look at, the more unstable it gets. Especially if you move out of realities and you start reading and talking to people that aren't a part of your culture, that have different strategies incorporated in their lives that, are, that have worked very well for them, sometimes much better than ours. So being so smug and so comfortable with your culture, your life, your experience, you know, it's just not always going to apply to everybody else. So, yeah, monsters. Are they real? Are there interdimensional vampires? We just went off the air. A big, huge 
flash that made the needles go all the way into the red here at the station just threw me off the air. I don't know how much longer I can stay on, um, but that was like weird. <laughs> There's no explanation for that. I don't know if it's hooked to the solar flare or what. It's just, wow, that was really strange. And I, I tell you, what, what I think was going on here is something very... Um, we just don't really understand reality. We think it's this baseline situation. Broadcasting from Flagstaff, Arizona, USA. 